Inhuman, the Monster of Cleveland is a podcast that uses adult language and discusses sensitive and potentially triggering topics, including violence and abuse. This podcast may not be appropriate for younger audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Hey guys, it's Andrea and Haley, and this is Inhuman, the Monster of Cleveland. What's been up? Not much. I oh, I didn't show you my nails. I got Disney nails. I am Super so cute. excited. Um, I'm going to Disneyland in there. two days. That is so exciting. I'm so excited for you. And we're going to Disney too, but not Disneyland. We're going to Disney World in a couple of weeks. Ah, that's going to be so fun. I cannot wait to watch your vlogs on that. I know. I'm so excited. And you better be vlogging too. I hope you're vlogging. I know you're vlogging. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> and if you guys hear my almost three-year-old in the background squealing, he's supposed to be taking a nap right now, but he's on another level this week. So just ignore that. And you may actually also hear my smoke alarm chirping. I took the battery out, but it is, it's still oh. chirping. I don't, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I hate smoke alarms. Like you can disable <laughs> it and it'll still chirp. Like it's, oh, yeah. but what's, what's up with that? <laughs> no clue. I mean, I guess it keeps you safe, but you guys, right. before, <laughs> um, before we started recording or we were already recording, but <laughs> Andrea goes, hold on. My son's in his pillowcase and then goes <laughs> off to take care of it. And I just heard like, Ever so slightly, I could hear her being like, what are you doing? Like, you need to take a nap. It was so funny. I don't know. He, I'm telling you, when I say he is on another level, he is on another level. Yeah, he was inside of his pillowcase. Just, I don't even know. Being a bad guy. That's what he said. <laughs> oh, oh, Manny. Kids, am I right? <laughs> All right. Well, should we just get into this episode, episode two? Yes. So episode two, we are going to be continuing um, Michelle's capture and kind of what she experienced in the first, basically the first year that she was in Castro's home. Um, And I think we left off with the last episode. Um, He had basically locked her in one of his rooms and slammed the door and threatened to basically kill her if she was going to try to scream or anything. Right. Yep. Don't move. Castro threatened Michelle. He left the room and when he returned, he had grabbed some extension cords and he actually tied her up around her ankles and wrists. Michelle stated in her book that the cords were so tight that she felt that she began losing feeling in her hands and her feet, which is just horrific. If it was, I mean, for her, for her to be just tied up and already losing feeling in her hands and feet, like that's just absolutely horrific. Um, so scary. Like I can't imagine that feeling of like, you're, 
I mean, this, this whole thing, obviously, but you're like already tied up. You can't do anything. You can't get out. And then you start losing feeling. And that like is a whole different, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like sensation that's terrifying in itself. Like when your arm falls asleep or something, like that's the worst feeling. And so, oh, I can't imagine. And I'm just going to give another trigger warning. Um, the next part of this, well, pretty much the rest of the story is full of triggers. Um, you know, sexual assault, rape, um, abuse, all of the things. So, um, after he tied Michelle up, he unzipped his pants and actually began masturbating, telling Michelle that she would only be with him for a little while, which to me is very odd why you would say that while you are performing that act. But I think he was trying to, in some way, soothe her. And I mean, I'll talk about this in Amanda's episode, but she said the same thing that it was like, it was the same type of thing. Like what he was trying to say, oh, you'll go home in a week and then you'll go home by summer. And then like, he kept making these promises. And it's like, I think that he was trying to make himself feel better about what he was doing. Like telling himself, oh, I'm going to let them go. Like, I'm not going to hold them captive forever, which is just disgusting. It seemed as though he was like trying to gain some sort of sick sympathy for Michelle by telling her how lonely he was ever since his kids and his wife left him. Um, at that point, Michelle was really fearful for her life. She really thought that the sicko was going to kill her. After he finished, he then hoisted Michelle up and hung her from a wire that was strung between two, two poles he had put in the room. Wow. I cannot believe that. She, I know it's just mortifying number one to be in that situation. But then at that point, it's like, she's like slaughter almost, you know, like being hung. Right. And that like, I'm sure is painful too. like, not just to be tied up, but to be hung like that. Like, yeah, she was basically hawk tied, like how they would tie up a, um, like a pig for slaughter. So at that point, you know, of course, Michelle's freaking out. She began to pray the only prayer that she knew, which was now lay me down to sleep, which resonates with me because that's a prayer that I grew up praying as a child. He then smacked her in the side of the head and told her to shut up. Michelle was suspended 12 inches off the ground. And he then proceeded to stuff a dirty sock in her mouth. He literally wrapped duct tape around her entire head. He turned on the radio in the room to a ridiculous volume and he then left. Of course, Michelle tried to scream, but was unable to because she had a sock in her mouth. Plus the music was so loud that no one would likely hear her anyway. She frantically looked around the room for ways to escape and noticed a mermaid picture on the floor. At that point, she thought to herself that this room must have belonged to one of Castro's daughters. And if so, how could a man with two daughters do this to another woman? And I mean, I agree with that. Like that was always in the back of my mind, hearing the stories and knowing that he had daughters that Michelle and some of, and the other girls I think knew. And yet he's doing this, like that could be his daughter. Like, why would you do that? That just shows you how sick he was. 
Right. And I know with Amanda, one of the things he did was he said he called her his like temporary wife. So I think that was his way of like, you know, making her different than his daughters. And I feel like for Michelle, I remember um, just from the podcast that I've listened to about this case that she, she really got a lot of the like brunt of the abuse and, you know, that kind of like torture. So I think that he might have like convinced himself that she deserved it or, you know, something like that, which is just right. sick. But he definitely, I think, found ways to kind of dehumanize them or turn them into something that wasn't like what he had in his real life. Right. And to somehow like justify his actions for what he was doing. Yeah. So Castro returned and he had brought Michelle a breakfast sandwich from McDonald's. Michelle refused to eat and he tried to force her to eat it. Fed up, he threw the sandwich down, untied Michelle, and she plummeted to the ground. Her limbs were numb and tingling from being hoisted and hanging for so many hours. Um, She stated in her book, she had, she doesn't obviously know the time. So she had no clue how long she was hoisted up there. Um, He then grabbed her and threw her over his shoulder and took her into the adjacent room and he raped her. Um, he raped her over and over and over again. Um, Michelle tried to defend herself, but because she was so tiny and Castro was so not tiny, she was unfortunately unable to, um, you know, get him away from her. She begged and pleaded with him to let her go home. When he finished, he laid beside her and began to cry and told her that he needed her. First of all, fuck you for crying. What? Like, no, you do not get to, first of all, you don't get to cry. Second of all, you don't get to lay beside her and have pillow talk. Like you guys are a couple and you just got done making love or something. Like he literally was acting as though Michelle was his girlfriend or his wife. And that is just so sickening to me. Right. Exactly. Like that's him making her into something that she's not. So he doesn't feel so quote unquote, bad about raping her. Like he convinced himself that, or told himself that she wanted it. And that like, that was just what was going to happen. Oh, right. Exactly. So Michelle said that he would lay with her often after the rapes and tell her stories of his life and his childhood Um, while it sickened her, she did try to reason with him saying that he didn't need to do this to her because of the unfortunate things that happened to him. Um, like I like to say, lots of people have shitty childhoods and they don't turn into rapists or kidnappers. Um, so that's just a poor excuse. And it seemed like he was trying to use that as an excuse. At that point, he abruptly stands up, throws money down on the mattress to quote unquote, pay her for her services. And he left the room, which Michelle states in his, in her book that he frequently did to all the girls, like treating them like prostitutes or treating them like sex workers, um, to again, I guess, justify his actions, even though, you know, Michelle, was definitely not a sex worker and Gina and Amanda were, I mean, they were children. So clearly, right. You know, they're not on the streets working for money. Right. (sighs) So 
later he came back and he just randomly went through Michelle's purse and realized by her ID that she was actually 21. He seemed greatly disappointed that Michelle was not an underage teenager. Um, cause he's a fucking pervert. <laughs> and yep. just like you mentioned before, he told her she'd only be there till Christmas, which, you know, that's still several months away. And that devastated Michelle. At that point, he allowed her to put her shirt and underwear back on. Her clothes were, of course, stained with blood and urine. You know, she was tied up for endless hours. Unfortunately, she had no other choice than to use the bathroom on herself. After Michelle got dressed, um, he grabbed her and literally dragged her down the stairs to the basement. And I'm, I'm assuming that the basement is a reoccurring thing um, with all the girls. Um, and it's pretty horrific, um, the things that happened to them down there, but so she was held, like he had her upstairs first and then down in the basement. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Cause with yeah. both Amanda and Gina, he had her, he had them in the basement first right. and then upstairs, probably because Michelle was upstairs and it was like, quote unquote, more freedom upstairs. And so he wanted to like get them used to quote unquote being tied up down in the basement. Exactly. And I think Michelle was kind of like his, for lack of better term, test run, um, you know, to see what worked and how he wanted to operate this disgusting thing that he was doing. Um, And that's why he kind of shifted her around a lot. Cause as you will see, as I progress with the story, I mean, she basically, has time in almost every room of the house. Michelle, now in the basement, was, you know, shaking uncontrollably. She just knew in her gut that he was taking her down to the basement to kill her. The dude, which is the name Michelle, started to call Castro because in her mind and in mine, he didn't deserve to have a name. Um, He actually left the basement. She began to kind of look around the room, see what her options were to hopefully possibly escape. She noticed there were lots of alarm wires all around the basement and she looked around to see if she could, you know, escape, which there didn't seem to be any means for that. Later, he returned with chains and tied Michelle up, part of the chain being around her neck, part of it around her waist, and then around her ankles. And he actually slammed a motorcycle helmet on her head and everything went black. That's so terrifying. I know to be in a basement thinking that your life is about to be over and then now your vision is obscured. Like, yeah, terrifying. After hours of struggling to escape, Michelle managed to free up her hands and take off the helmet. Luckily, she tried to loosen the chains, but to no avail. At that point, she heard Castro returning and he was storming down the stairs And he noticed right away that Michelle's hands were free and he was furious as punishment for what she did for what she did, you know, um, as though she hadn't already been through enough. He stripped her down completely naked and made her do unspeakable, unspeakable things, things to this day, Michelle still cannot speak about. Um, Oh, that gave me chills. Like that's like just knowing what she does speak about and like 
what we do know that happened. And this is something that even worse than that is like, I can't even wrap my head around that. I have chills right now. That's exactly, exactly. Because the things that they do write about in their books are so horrific. I mean, I can't imagine what could be possibly worse that she would, would not want to, to talk about, you know, exactly. but I was, I, I totally respect and understand her not wanting to share those details. Yeah. Um, I, I, I mean, I completely understand. I mean, I'm, she's so brave to even tell her story, honestly. Yeah. She stated in her book that a part of her died that day, which actually is like about to make me cry right now. And it did make me cry in the book. Um, reading that because I, I, I don't have any situation really, um, to compare that to, but just being an empathetic person, like that, that broke my heart, you know? Yeah. That I didn't, I hadn't heard that before. And that, that also (laughs) broke my heart a little bit right there too. Yeah. Um, again, this piece of shit paid her for her services and told her that she was staying in the basement until she could be trusted later, possibly hours, possibly days. She is unsure. He brought down a plate of spaghetti that his mother had made him. He fed her partially against her will, but she was so starving that she didn't care. He eventually loosened up her chains a bit so she could walk over to a bucket to use the bathroom, which I mean, it's better than going, you know, in your pants, but still like you don't have the decency, not that I expect him to have the decency, but like, you don't have the human decency to allow her to use the bathroom. Yeah. You can edit out all my huffs too. <laughs> Cause I'm just like, mm. <laughs> I know, no, I know. I feel like it's good to, you know, it out. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, Michelle said that when your life is stolen from you, even the most basic stuff makes you grateful. And she was grateful to have the bucket and to have somewhere to go to the bathroom. Some mornings, Michelle would hear his alarm go off. And she remembered that Emily, his daughter, who she was friends and acquaintances with, had told her that he was a school bus driver. Yikes. Um, How in the hell did this dude get a job working with kids? I know. Um, I know they were Michelle refers to him a couple of times in her book as Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, which I can totally see that he has a a different persona depending on who he's around. Right. And even, I think you talked about this last episode and, um, I'll talk about it in Amanda's episode, but he like, was a different person when they first got into the car and were like, Oh yeah, like a a ride would be amazing. And, you know, and then as soon as that flip switch flipped, it was a totally different person. Right. Just like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Um, she also noticed from being in the basement that this dude only showered about once a week. Um, that's when she heard, I know. Um, she would hear the shower running, but also the fact that he smelled like hot ass on a summer day gave it away as well, <laughs> um, which again is just horrific thinking about the things that he does to her and the fact that he doesn't even have, again, any human decency to take a freaking shower. 
He didn't feed Michelle often, but when he did, it was usually, usually some old gross breakfast sandwiches from McDonald's or another fast food restaurant. He seemed to eat there daily, just about. He would often tell her that she better do exactly what he says or he wouldn't feed her. Um, when he would get home from work on most days, he would watch porn. And when he was ready, he would go down to the basement and rape Michelle. Wow. Yeah. She said that at night was when he was most likely higher drunk. Um, and she knows that he was smoking marijuana because she could smell it. Um, or sometimes both, he would do the more awful things to her during these times. Uh, Michelle would let her mind wander. She would wander back to happier days, like the Christmas she spent with her son or the day Roderick gave her his mother's scarf. Well, I'm not going to cry. Why, why am I getting emotional? Okay. Um, she also would sometimes sing herself, sing to herself and Castro was so intoxicated that he wouldn't even notice that she was singing while he was abusing her. Um, which I honestly am thankful for because when she prayed, he smacked her in the side of the head. Wow. Another way that Castro enjoyed torturing Michelle was by telling her that no one was looking for her. We later find out that that's actually half true. Um, her family did put out a missing persons report. Um, but unfortunately, like in a lot of cases, the police did not take Michelle's disappearance seriously. And she was only on. Yeah. Um, she was only on the missing persons, um, list for, I think it was 15 months, which seems like a long time, but when you have a person, a young person, especially go missing, like more needs to be done. That needs to change. They can do better. I'm actually surprised that it was that long because like, just from what I know from the podcast that I listened to about Michelle's story, they kind of just assumed that since she had left home before that she just ran away. And so I'm impressed that she was actually on the missing persons list because I didn't know that. I thought she was just, they considered her a runaway, but like you said, if they thought that she was missing for 15 months, what changed that would take her off the list and why, I mean, this is a, bigger issue. And we've, I've heard about this in tons of other true crime cases where police are so reluctant to mark somebody as missing. And it's like, why, what harm does that do? Like, Oh, that makes me so mad. Right. And even though I think she was on the missing persons list, I do not think they ever, um, exhausted any, you know, resources to actively search for her. I think her mother put the missing persons or file the missing person person's report. And then that was it that nothing else. Right. Was done. Okay. Um, cause if you think about it, if they like would have put flyers out or had news coverage, people that were at the family dollar that day, like someone had to have seen her get in that van with him. Yeah. And didn't somebody see her walk into the house? Yeah. And so I'll tell like- you in just a moment, someone else saw her too. Wow. So it's like, yeah. Even if they had just put a couple of news reports out, somebody could have recognized her. Exactly. There would be a chance that somebody would say, hey, I saw that girl and this is who she was with. And even if she hadn't been taken, like even if she had run away, like 
she's, I mean, I guess technically she's old enough and is an adult, but if somebody's looking for her, like, I mean, and I guess this is kind of a gray line because you don't really know, like, if she was in a bad situation, even if her mom was looking for her and her mom was bad, she might not want to be found. But knowing that she had her son that she was trying to get back, like, something should have clicked in their minds like she didn't just run away like if she wanted to run away she wouldn't have even tried to get joey back like it would have just been like all right i'm out like he's in foster care i'm done so clearly there was i just feel like there was a lot of evidence that she did not run away exactly and if you think about it she was living with her cousin lisa when she went missing and i mean if I I feel like people know me well enough. If I went missing, they would know something is terribly wrong. I'm not just going to go like peace out, you know? Yeah. And I I feel like, like her cousin would have known that just knowing that she, you know, even if she had left home before, like, again, the thing with her son and she had been trying to get him back. Like she wasn't just going to peace out after trying for, you know, a couple months or however long it was. And then just give up randomly by not showing up for a hearing. Like, yeah, that's just, it blows my mind that they didn't take it more seriously. But also it doesn't because I've seen this happen in so many true crime cases. Right. So again, he loved to torture her by telling her no one was looking for her. And, you know, understandably so hearing that shattered Michelle's heart. She couldn't believe that no one saw her get into his vehicle that day. Um, and regrettably, Michelle was still stuck in that hellhole and no one had yet found her. So a few weeks go by and Michelle starts to notice a pattern when Castro starts having his band over. Every Saturday night, he was in a band and they would come over, they would drink, smoke weed, and play music so loud that Michelle again knew that if she tried to scream, no one would hear her. Alone in the dark, Michelle felt not only hopeless, she also began to feel like she was losing her mind, which is so understandable. I mean, just knowing things like psychologically, because I do have a bachelor's of science in psychology, (laughs) um, you know, there's just certain things like that can be tormenting that are not physical, you know, like being in the dark, being tied up, not being able to use the restroom, not being able to bathe yourself. Like I totally understand why she felt like she was losing her mind. Right. And I've like, I've thought about this before, just in general, like if I was on a desert Island or locked up in a room, I don't think my mind would be strong enough to survive that because I can't even like watch tv without doing something else like I am always and I mean I'm just a person that always like has multiple things happening which is like just who I am but thinking about being locked in a room where you literally cannot do anything and then on top of that being tied up not like you said not being able to use the restroom bathe yourself not being able to eat like I can't even begin to wrap my mind around that. And I do not know how these, all three of them were able to survive. Like that is just, 
I like, I have no words. It's just like you had it's to phenomenal. Be, it really yes. is phenomenal. I mean, yeah. they are so incredibly strong, which is kind of why I wanted to tell this story in more detail, because obviously we know from the other podcasts we've listened to that before we read their books, that they were strong because they survived this, but you don't really get a sense of how strong and how much they endured until you get into the details that are terrifying and disgusting, but it's, they deserve so much more recognition than just they survived because they survived not just being locked up, but like horrible, horrible shit that they got through. And it just, I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying, but (laughs) I like, I can't imagine it at all. Yeah. Well, they not only survived the physical abuse, the abduction, the imprisonment, but like you said, they survived the mental imprisonment and the mental abuse. And I think that takes, I mean, that can be sometimes worse, you know, in the long run. Yeah. So again, Michelle felt like she was losing her mind. She actually began imagining her son, Joey, there with her, and she would pretend to, to talk to him. Um, Michelle states in her book that she was barely alive on the outside, covered in her own filth, having not showered, dwindling down to nothing because she barely ate, being exhausted from all the abuse. Often she would just sleep the days away and dream of her son. After what felt like months of being in the basement, Castro finally declared he was taking Michelle back upstairs. After being in the darkness for so long, of course, the sun was blinding. Um, He led her back up to the pink room. The poles, thankfully, were gone. However, he still chained Michelle up once again. Again, she begged and cried for him to let her go, saying that she would not say anything to anyone. No one would ever capture him or find him. She just wanted to go back and be with her son. Instead of doing that, he assaulted and raped her. Again, he laid with her and told her about how he was bullied as a child by black kids for being overweight. Boo-hoo. He told her about how he was sexually abused, allegedly. He expressed to her his love of pornography and how he preferred blondes. And trigger warning, he also stated that he wished he had gotten to John Benet Ramsey and Elizabeth Smart first. Wow. I hadn't heard that. So, like, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of layers to that, but my first thought is like, what a narcissist. Like, <laughs> you think that, he, like, what a vile, disgusting thing to say about a child who is deceased. That's, that's, that's the first thing that like, and I'm laughing not because it's funny, but because I'm so uncomfortable. Um, and I actually debated even leaving that in there, but I just wanted to portray how sickening this man is. I mean, we know how sickening he is, but it's like so much deeper than, than just that, you know? Yeah. Like just that, that takes you into his mind and where he was and like all of this stuff where he would say, Oh, I'm going to take you home or, you know, even paying them. Like he knows that he's a monster because Mm -hmm. he knows that he. Yep. Oh, wow. That's just, and it's just so narcissistic to be like, I wish I would have been the one to do that. Yeah. Like, 
you know, just, you know, often after he would assault Michelle, she would cry, you know, the, who wouldn't cry. Um, and he would try to soothe her by telling her that they were a family now and he wanted her to be happy. Oh Um, my God. Again, it's like, he's trying to soothe himself by doing that and be like, Oh, I'm not that bad. I'm like, we're family. We're, this is what we're doing. Yeah. Like this is normal. Like, no, nothing about this is normal. Nothing. Um, as I mentioned before, she often referred to her in like in her own mind as Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, because she never knew which side of Castro she would get. Typically, of course, it was the abusive, malicious, terrible, rotten piece of shit, horrible rapist side. (laughs) But ever so often he would do quote unquote, nice things. Um, I use that term very loosely. Um, for Michelle, like, for example, he did bring her a radio so she could quietly listen to music to pass the time. Um, he specifically said that he did not want her um, listening to rap music or um, listening to the news. I guess he hoped if, you know, there was a report of her missing that she like wouldn't get her hopes up. I don't really know what his reasoning for that was. I think part of that could have been he like we kind of talked about this in the last episode when we talked about his history but he was very racist and like Mm -hmm. I know that um in later parts of the story he would like not let the girls watch stuff with African-American actors in it Mm -hmm. and so I wonder if that had to do with it and I know he like didn't like them listening to rap music that was by African African African-American artists So I wonder if that had something to do with that and just the news, like maybe there was a lot of coverage of something happening in the African-American community or something like that, that he was just like not wanting her because Amanda and Gina both watched the news a ton and like he was fine with it. He would like sit with them while their family was on the news. Like, so yeah, I wonder if there was something else going on there. I think it's multifaceted and I think I mean, obviously we'll never know what his reasonings were. I mean, he definitely was a racist piece of shit um, as, as we'll learn more about that in later, later parts of the episode and your episodes. Um, But Michelle, of course, would still listen to the news and hope that, you know, her family was looking for her, but sadly she never saw any news coverage on it. Um, One day Castro had Michelle actually help him board up all the windows on the top floor with like wooden, like wooden planks, the pink room that she was in the adjacent white room and two other rooms, another pink one and a blue one. He seemingly was building like a prison or a fortress where no one could hear or see in and no one could hear or see out. Um, Knowing what I know, he was probably preparing for the other girls that he was going to abduct. Um, At that point, for seemingly no reason, he moved Michelle into the blue room for a few weeks. And he told her once he kidnapped two more girls, he would let her go. Sometime later, Michelle had been talking to Joey in her room when Castro stormed in and yelled, who the hell are you talking to? She told him she had been talking to Joey and he called her a crazy little slut. First of all, how fucking dare him slut shame her? Um, She's not a slut and he rapes her daily. And honestly, like how dare him call her crazy? Like what else 
what else is she supposed to do with her time? You know, right. Like, I'm pretty sure you're the crazy one, dude. Don't, don't try to project it onto somebody else. Exactly. So she just had this wild hair and decided to say, well, maybe if you got me a puppy, like you originally said you would looking back to how he actually got Michelle in the house, she would have someone to talk to and she wouldn't be as bored. Surprisingly, a week later, he arrived home one day and in his hands, he had a cardboard box. And sure enough, there was a little brown and white pitbull puppy inside. Oh, yeah. Michelle named him Lobo because he was short and squatty and low to the ground. (laughs) And she actually, which is kind of cute because Michelle herself is very teeny tiny. Um, So she kind of felt like he was like a little you know, match for her, like a perfect match. Um, he brought her so much joy, joy that Michelle wasn't sure she could feel anymore. And of course she instantly fell in love with him and loved him with every ounce of her being. She would pass the days making make-believe scenarios, um, about taking him on walks through the neighborhood and meeting up with friends He gave her some normalcy and a chaotic warped world that was now Michelle's life. However, much like everything else, that joy would soon come to an end. Um, And trigger warning, the next part does include animal cruelty, um, extreme animal cruelty. Um, One night when Castro was drunk and assaulting Michelle, Lobo began barking And Castro slapped Michelle in the head and told her to make him shut up. Lobo then lunged at Castro, trying to bite him, trying to what it seemed like protect Michelle. But Castro snatched the little dog up and broke his neck. So Michelle went back to feeling very alone again. Out of nowhere, one day Castro took Michelle outside, which is like shocking. Like this, this dude... He he doesn't do anything textbook, which is, I think, hard for um, like a lot of people who know this case because it just seems he's all over the place. He doesn't know what he wants. It almost and I hate to give him this, but it almost seems like deep down inside there is an inkling of something either he like wants to get caught or he has some sort of small amount of guilt. I don't know. I don't even want to call it guilt because it doesn't seem like he has an ounce of guilt you know, but there's just the things he does doesn't make sense. Right. It's like the other side of him. And I also feel like that's almost him getting like more comfortable. Like he's like, I've broken her. She's not going to try to get away. Like that's his feeling. And so he's like kind of relaxing a little bit, which is also what kind of led to their escape, which we'll talk about that later, but yeah. So he, um, gave her a green shirt and sweatpants. He also gave her a brown wig and huge sunglasses to, of course, you know, um, disguise her so no one would recognize her. And he warned her if she so much as spoke one word, he'd kill her. With gun in hand, Castro took Michelle outside to the back porch. Again, at this point, she saw another old man in the neighboring yard who saw them and said nothing, which of course, you know, she didn't look like herself, but also she was in such a ridiculous disguise. I feel like that's such a red flag. Like, right. I, would at le- I don't know. I would think I would at least call the police and be like, Hey, maybe you should check this out. Yeah. Jeez. Um, 
But of course, again, Michelle was too scared to say anything to him. And I've heard a lot of people say things like, oh, why didn't she try to escape? Why didn't she scream for help? Why didn't she do this? Why didn't she do that? But if you think about it, like she is a victim and she has like true victim mentality of fearing for her life constantly and any wrong move could be the end of her life. So I mean, I don't even know why people would question that, but they have. She was so confused as to why no one noticed her. No one ever called the police again. When he brought her back to the blue room, he made Michelle strip down completely nude and chained her back up. Michelle sat chained up nude for months. Oh my God. It was during the winter and she was freezing. She begged him to give her a blanket, to give her clothes. And he just kept telling her no. Christmas day came. Michelle knew because she listened to the radio and they mentioned that it was Christmas day. And on that day, Castro brought home Michelle a cake, like a whole ass cake. Like that's so random. Right. Michelle cried because she missed Joey so bad. She wondered how he was spending Christmas. Was he safe? Did he like his foster parents? Did his foster parents love him? Michelle had been in this dump of a house for over four months at this point. January came and went. February came and went. Michelle begged for clothing and Castro finally gave in and brought her a small piece of cloth to use as a blanket. She had a radiator in her room, but it didn't give off much heat. And it didn't seem like he really had normal things for a functioning house. It didn't seem like he had heat. It didn't seem like he had hot water, things that like most people have in their home. Um, he also, at that point, brought her a small TV, which really surprised Michelle. But like you mentioned before, warned her she was not allowed to watch any television that included Black people. And she was not allowed to watch the news. Um, So not only is this dude a piece of shit, but like I mentioned before, he's a racist piece of shit. It seemed that he just did not like black people. Um, Finally, Michelle had something exciting to look forward to again. She, she watched the news anyway, and she watched some of her favorite TV shows. Her absolute most favorite TV show was everybody loves Raymond, which I low key love that show. I do too. (laughs) It's like good, wholesome, like family TV. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Michelle got another surprise a few weeks later. He let her, and I say let her take a shower. It had been eight months since Michelle had bathed. Oh my God. Eight months of wearing the same clothes and then being completely nude. She had been covered in her own blood, dirt, and semen for months, and she was finally able to shower. Of course, like I mentioned, the water was freezing, so she showered quickly, and she actually, on a whim, asked Castro if she could have some scissors so she could cut her matted hair, and surprisingly, he agreed. Michelle cut her hair super short, and back to the blue room she went, where he raped and and abused her again. On April 21st, 2003, Michelle was watching the news and heard that a teenage girl, Amanda Berry, had been reported missing in the area. 
the cute blonde girl in the picture, Michelle recognized right away. They had been in art class together in high school because, as I mentioned in episode one, Michelle was very behind in school. So 16-year-old Amanda and 21-year-old Michelle were in the same art class. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. It's crazy. Wow. And it was at that moment that Michelle got a sinking feeling in the pit of her stomach. She knew in her gut that Amanda had been taken by Castro. Oh my God. And I have, I have literally full body chills. Yeah, I do too. Because she just, she knew, she knew, she knew he was planning to kidnap another girl. And when she saw that, um, Amanda, her picture, she's blonde, she's young. She just knew. And she was unfortunately correct. So on that note, I will conclude episode two. So make sure you are subscribed on your favorite podcast platform. So you do not miss, miss our next episode. Yeah. Next episode, I'm going to be talking about Amanda and, you know, a lot of it is not the same as everything you talked about with Michelle, but the same, uh, vibe I guess because he's doing it all over again um Mm -hmm. but at the same time her story differs a lot from Michelle's so I'm excited to get into that and start telling Amanda's story next week um I'm ex yeah I'm excited to hear her her side of the story as well because I mean like you mentioned I do know a lot of the whole story just from listening to other podcasts watching the documentary um But the details, because as you will see later on, um, you know, he kind of tries to like pin them against each other and Mm -hmm. make them jealous of each other. So I'm really, I'm really interested to hear Amanda's side of the story, especially as like such a young girl and just hearing like what she experienced and what she went through. Um, Also, if you have Instagram, follow us over on Instagram at inhuman underscore podcast. We're trying to be, you know, live and in action over there <laughs> as much Trendy. as we can. Yeah, we're trying to get it all in, but you know, we this are is all uh, new for us. We are sharing photos over there uh, weekly on episode drops so that you guys can kind of go over there and, you know, look at some of the photos, the victims, the girls, and, you know, just kind of get an idea of like some of the things we're talking about, some of the things we're describing. So definitely check us out over there. And if you enjoy our podcast, we would appreciate if you could rate us on iTunes, it helps us out and, you know, give us that five-star review. If you you think we deserve it, I hope we do. Yes. If you like us, let us know. And if you don't, that's okay too. This is not everyone's cup of tea. True crime is definitely not everyone's cup of tea, but yeah, but we want to thank you so much for listening And and we'll see you next week. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.